Well, we are beginning this series uh, on rest, and, and our, our text is from Psalms chapter number 23. It's a great passage of Scripture, but uh, it's super cute that our students, our children, have decided to help us with our text Scripture today. So I want to turn your attention to the screen for this video. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake. That's the best you'll ever hear it. That's awesome. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And today, we recognize that a major benefit of the Lord being your shepherd is that your soul can be restored. It can be restored. Another expression is, he renews my life. Or he restores my life. He revives my life. Or he makes my life new again. It's interesting to me that God does that in salvation for all of us. He makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. But it's not just in salvation that we become renewed or revived or restored. He is also renewing us and reviving us and restoring us day to day in our life in Christ. It's supposed to be the life of a believer, a life of rest. Our world is unique in that it calls us to success, and we work hard to become successful. In my years of pastoring and, frankly, my years of knowing people, I've never had a single person come to me and say, I'm really working hard to be unsuccessful. People just don't aspire to that. They don't work hard towards it. In fact, it's a very easy goal to achieve if you desire it. Uh, not hard at all, but, but people don't say that. But the more successful we get, the busier life becomes. And the busier life becomes, the less we rest. And our culture deals with this by becoming prideful at times in our lack of rest. How many times have you heard somebody say, man, I only slept two hours last night? Yay? What what do I say to that? Good for you? Or I didn't take any, I didn't miss a single day of work last year. I took no vacation time. Employers are like, yes, but it doesn't help long term. In fact, lack of rest isn't healthy in any way. I was reading the blog on uh, Better Health, the Better Health Channel blog, and, and it was telling me some of the symptoms of exhaustion. Exhaustion. Now, this is going to blow your mind. You might want to write this down. Exhaustion causes chronic tiredness or sleepiness. I'm glad somebody went to medical school to discover this. <laughs> but it also causes headaches. Dizziness, sore and aching muscles, weakness, slowed reflexes or responses to things, impaired decision-making, and impaired judgment. Some of our young people in high school and in college 
we could do with a little more sleep and it would probably help our judgment calls in some areas of life. But I'm moving on in the sermon right now. Moodiness. Maybe you now know what's going on with that person sitting next to you. Irritability. Impaired hand-to-eye coordination. Appetite loss. Appetite gain. Reduced immune system function. Blurry vision. Short-term memory problems. Poor concentration. Pay attention. Poor concentration. (laughs) Hallucinations. Reduced ability to pay attention to the situation at hand. And low motivation. These are just some of the symptoms of being exhausted. And sometimes we think, well, what I need to do then is I just need to get some more sleep. But how many of us know there have been times where our body has been fully rested, but our mind is still exhausted? Or our emotions are worn out? You're rested, you got plenty of sleep, but one thing goes wrong in your day and your whole day is shot. You may be mentally or emotionally exhausted. So when we talk about rest, we're talking about being refreshed and at ease, including body, mind, and emotions. The American Psychological Association has a publication, and there was an article in their publication by Dr. Ann Stiles, and the title of the article was Go Rest, Young Man. And it tells of Dr. Mitchell, a doctor in the late 1800s, he had a cure for uh, those young men who were experiencing anxiety and depression and, and a real loss of motivation in their life. They couldn't quite get things going. Or maybe they had been going for a while, but then everything just kind of slowed down and, and they lost their motivation for life. And so he would prescribe them to go west, to go rest. In fact, this, uh, the, uh, the article says, Mitchell sent anxious men out west to engage in prolonged periods of cattle roping, hunting, rough riding, and male bonding. And while the West cure could be an unpleasant experience, West cure patients typically returned refreshed and reinvigorated. It wasn't an issue of location. It was an issue of changing their perspective, changing their mentality, And their location helped them to do that. So, so many people, so many men were struggling with the stresses and the pace of living in the towns and cities in the east that that this became a popular prescription for many people, so much so that the phrase, go west, young man, became popularized in our country. If If you were really struggling, going west could potentially help you reinvigorate life. And there were a lot of prominent men that did this. In fact, the poet Walt Whitman was one of those men. Painter Thomas Atkins, novelist Owen Wister, and future U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt were some of the men that were prominent that ended up taking advantage of the West cure. In fact, President Roosevelt became so enamored with the West and with nature itself while he was doing on his West Cure trip that he ended up coming back and becoming a passionate proponent of the National Park Service and and keeping nature, nature. He began that project. But it wasn't about a location. It was about changing 
the perspective, the focus, and the physical activity. In fact, some of these that were on the West Cure, they were working harder physically while on their trip, on their journey, if you will, than they ever did while they were in the East Coast in the towns and the cities. But their physiological nature was at rest. They learned to change their perspective. And Jesus reveals to us that physical rest is not just a physical need, but rest at large is a spiritual calling in our lives. It's a spiritual calling. And when better to talk about something like this than when we're in a situation like we are right now? We have things going on in our world like, well, the coronavirus is everybody's scared and concerned and, and the world is freaking out about the coronavirus and, and, and the media is, is hyping this and, and talking about it and, and you hear it over and over and over and there's, there's genuine fear and concern and repercussions of this situation. And then we have this little thing here in the United States called a presidential election that's coming up. I don't know, you might have heard something about it in the last little while. That's not going to get any less stressful over the next few months. And then if those things weren't enough, you have situations going, home at, going on at home and, and at work, and you've got interpersonal relational issues that are being dealt with, and you've got financial issues that are working on, and even if you're doing well financially, there are decisions to be made and, and, and different progress to, to, to be planned out, and, and you've got just the stress of life going on. And, and, and if your child happens to play a sport, then... In, If you have more than one child, you might have to be in 12 places at once on any given Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. There's a lot going on in this world. But Jesus calls us to rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden I give you is light. If you're a note taker in your service guide, there's an opportunity to take some notes. I always encourage you to do so. And our big idea today is this. The call to faith in Christ is a call to rest in life. The call to faith in Christ is a call to rest in life. And it's not that your issues just automatically disappear, but your perspective changes and your company changes your perspective. When you're scared about something, when something's going on or something's going wrong, it's, uh, it's very common for us to call somebody, call a friend, call a, call a neighbor, call somebody to try to help us with the problem that we're in. I, I had a very manly moment a number of years ago. I've had so many very manly moments in my life, but this one really stands out. <laughs> when I said that, my, my beard grew three inches just right then. Well, one night we were starting the church in, in Lombard and we were living in the basement of the church in one of the Sunday school rooms and, and uh, we were all in one room and it was Christy and I and our two boys and, and two cats and a dog because we're insane. And, the, uh, and so here we are sleeping at night. It's like two o'clock in the morning and something wakes me up. 
there's a sound from upstairs where the sanctuary is, and, and I wake up, and I'm, I'm listening because I don't know exactly what woke me up, and then I heard a sound again, and I thought to myself, if somebody's creeping around upstairs, I need to go handle this. And so I did what any strong man would do, and I said, Christy, are you awake? And she said, huh? Because she wasn't awake. I said, are you awake? She said, well, I am now. I said, I, I hear something upstairs. She says, well, go check it out. I said, oh, no, 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 no. You're awake because we are going to go check it out. And so we crept up the stairs. I had a bat and she had a golf club. And I just felt braver right there because she was with me. I knew that whatever, whatever was up there couldn't be scarier than waking Christy up in the middle of the night. (laughs) And, And there was nothing there. That's the end of the story. There was nothing there. But it's just good to have somebody with you sometimes. It's just good to call a friend. And your soul and my soul can rest easy if we really know that the one who has all authority and power is walking with us through life. You're not by yourself. In fact, you can't be by yourself because Jesus said, I am the friend. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's how the scripture describes him. And so here we are not alone and yet sometimes feeling alone, but he has called us to rest in our life. And thought number one is this, that Christ calls the weary and the burdened and offers rest. He's very specific in the call. The weary and the burdened. Come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. It's not by accident. We cannot demand his rest But he actively works to attract us to his rest. How does he do that? Well, he works to attract us to his rest by offering us an example. He offers us instruction. He offers us inspiration. And he offers us empowerment. He gives us the example when Almighty God on the seventh day of creation rests. It's not because he runs out of energy. He can't run out of energy. It's because he's giving us an example of the importance of resting. Then he gives us instructions, even in the Ten Commandments. He says, keep the Sabbath day holy. He's instructing us throughout the Old Testament to to rest. Then inspiration, Jesus comes to earth and he walks on earth. He takes on all the issues just like you and I have in life and and he handles them all successfully. And he says, you can do what I'm doing. He's an inspiration to us to learn from him. And then empowerment. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life above what we could naturally do on our own. So God is literally attracting us. He's he's advertising. He's pushing us. He's saying, come on, let me get your attention. I want to call you to my rest. And he's intentionally calling the burdened and the weary. He's not afraid of your burden. The thing that's overwhelming you is not overwhelming him. He can relieve you and he desires to relieve you. But too often we say, well, when I get it all together, when I I learn how to handle this burden, when I learn how to carry this thing, when when I get strong enough to to, to do things right, then, then I'll come to Jesus. 
But we don't come to Jesus because we've got it right. We come to Jesus so that we can get it right. He's there for us to lift the burden. And so we come with our pain and our fears and our anxieties and our problems and our mistakes and all of our issues. We come to him and we say, will he accept us? Will he, will he, uh, will he allow us to become part of who he is? And will, will he help us carry our burdens? And, and he says this to us. He says, those the Father has given me, they will come to me and I will never reject them. He says this even as he himself is being rejected. He says, no, 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 when you come to me, I, I won't reject you. There's not a person in this room that's done anything bad enough in this world that could ever cause Christ to reject you when you come to him. He's there to give you rest. He's there, he's there to help you. He's there to save you. He's there to walk with you in life. He will never reject you. But when, when our, our calling from Christ comes to our life our destination becomes clear there's only a there's one focus there's a singular focus in this call to rest he says come unto me not our family not our home not even the church me and when, when the unbeliever comes to rest in Christ, it's because they're coming to a place of salvation. But when the believer finds themselves overwhelmed by the issues of life and, and exhausted by life, it's usually because we've gotten our attention off of the one who gives us rest. We might still attend church every Sunday. We might still become, be a part of a team and, and, and operate in different manners, but, but we've gotten our attention somehow. He says, come to me. Let me teach you. Let me help you. So our focus, our focus is Jesus. And thought number two is this, that his rest requires his teaching. His rest requires his teaching. We're bringing back, at McCord, we're bringing back how the ushers in the old church used to have long sticks, and if you fell asleep, they'd poke you with it like that and wake you up. That's, that's a joke. We're not doing that. The, <clears throat> nobody falls asleep in this church. Mm-mm. That's a lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can see things from here. But this is going to represent a yoke. A yoke was an instrument, a tool, an agricultural tool that was very common in the days of Jesus. And, and, uh, and what they would do is they would put it on the, the neck and the withers actually of a, of a horse or of an ox. And, and they would yoke that ox to a plow. That, that it, it connected that ox to the plow, but it also connected that ox to another ox. There was, there was another ox that would be connected here. And, and so a yoke... Would, would put two, two beasts of burden into a unified force. It would combine them into a unified force. They would begin to walk together. And, and two oxen yoked up could move a huge amount of material or they could plow a field very successfully. And when an old ox uh, became well-trained, then sometimes they would connect the old ox, they would yoke the old ox with a, with a young ox. And that young ox would, would get over here with the old ox. I've been called an old ox more than once this morning. And, uh, 
And so they would, they would link the two together. They would yoke them together. And that young ox would, would want to, you know, jump around and, and go find grass over there. And, and the young ox would want to flit around and, and, and not get the work done. But that old ox being wiser and stronger and, and bigger and heavier would kind of just settle into that yoke and they would keep walking forward. And eventually that young ox would learn that when you're in the yoke with the old ox, you just walk along and you get the job done. And so suddenly it, it combined, the yoke combined the power of both oxen into a single purpose and a single understanding. The yoke was so well known that it became symbolic of anything that would cause two to be linked together. So sometimes they use the term yoke to say that Israel was yoked to, uh, to slave masters, maybe in Egypt or by Assyria or by Babylon. Uh, you could be yoked to sin if something was negative, but you could be also yoked to things that were good. In fact, in Jewish education, all of the young people would be taught the Torah from a young age. But as they got older, the, the brightest and the most advanced of the boys would be given the opportunity to study the Torah at a different level in secondary education. Well, as those young men would grow in their understanding and knowledge, uh, a few of them, very few of them, top students, would be given the opportunity to petition a rabbi to study with the rabbi. And so they would petition the rabbi and a very few of these top students would have the opportunity to study with a rabbi. And many of them would would petition the more famous or well-known rabbis to walk with them and, and learn from them. But every rabbi would be petitioned by some of the students. Now, if you got accepted, if you became accepted by a rabbi, then you would become a Talmud. The word Talmud meant a disciple, if you will, a disciple of that rabbi. And a group of Talmud would, call, would be called the Talmudim. And so the Talmudim would travel with a rabbi. They would leave their home. They would leave their family, their village, if that's what was necessary. And they would walk with the rabbi. They would learn from the rabbi. They would hear the rabbi's teaching and so on. And their entire purpose of the Talmudim was to become like the rabbi. And when a student was accepted by the rabbi, he was, he was said to have taken on the yoke of the rabbi. And now the rabbi would be walking and the young student would learn how to walk and step with the rabbi, talk like the rabbi, operate like the rabbi. And when the day came that the rabbi retired, well, that student would then move over and become the rabbi. And now that student would continue on in the, in the likeness, if you will, of the rabbi that he was yoked with. And he would become the rabbi. Rabbi Jesus was a little different. Where other rabbis were looking for reasons to say no to the student, Rabbi Jesus was looking for reasons to say yes. Come unto me all who are weary and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Who can take your yoke, Jesus? All. Any and all who want to come to me. And the whole idea was to become like him. Take on his worldview. Take on his teaching. Take on his speaking. And so years later, when, when Rabbi Jesus wasn't on the earth anymore, people could hear his Talmudim 
teaching and speaking, and they would say, oh, they've been with Rabbi Jesus. They walk like him. They talk like him. They, they act like him. Salvation is you and I seeking to be accepted as the Talmud of Rabbi Jesus. But once we're accepted, we begin to walk with him. And we begin to become like him. We take on his image. We learn from him. In fact, 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 18, this is the young literal translation here. It says, and we all, who's he's speaking to all who are believers, we all with unveiled face, so that there's nothing in front of our face augmenting our features, the glory of the Lord beholding in a mirror, So we're looking into a mirror and we're seeing the glory of the Lord. Who is the glory of the Lord? Jesus Christ is the glory of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God according to Scripture. So we're, we're, we're seeing him in this mirror to the same image are being transformed. So I'm looking in a mirror and I see Jesus. Then I look at me and I don't see Jesus. I look in the mirror and I see Jesus. I look at me and I don't see Jesus. And for the first little while that I'm walking with Jesus, I look at him and I see him and I, in the mirror and I see Jesus and I look at me and I don't see Jesus. But the longer I walk with him, the more the scripture says, even as by the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit's work in your life and in mine slowly transform us to become the image of Christ. So now we're looking in the mirror, and when people see us, they should see us looking a whole lot like him. And if you've been living for Christ for 10 minutes, and you don't look anything like Jesus, you will. And if you've been living for Jesus for 50 years, and you don't look anything like Jesus, you should. (laughs) The older I get, the more like my father I look. He keeps getting older. I don't know why, but he does. And I, I have a clue as to what I'm going to look like someday. And I'm scared. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> no, I, I, I have a clue of what I'm going to look like. When we look at Christ, we should have a clue of what we what our life should look like as we learn from him and take on his yoke. Here's our issue, though. Our issue is that we want his rest and our image. I I, I want the result of being like him, but I want to do it like me. I'm going to put my little spin on it. And this is going to be Micah's version of Christianity. Micah's version of Christ-likeness. It's Christ-likeness. Not Micah-likeness. I was born in Micah-likeness. You are born in whatever likeness you are. But Christ-likeness takes a different teaching. So what we say is, I want my finances to operate like you're in control, but I want to control my finances. 
I want my relationships to be run by me, but I want them to work out as if you were running them. I, I, I want my marriage to be a marriage like if Christ was involved in my marriage, but I want to be in charge of my marriage. I want my business to operate as if Christ is all over my business, but I, I'm the boss of my business. We want his rest with our likeness. And Jesus is saying, that's not how this works. He said, my rest demands, it requires my teaching, my yoke, my image. And that brings us to thought number three, that your level of faith determines your level of rest. Your level of faith determines your level of rest. Christy and I have recently discovered this thing called a staycation. And when we did staycations before, I never really liked them. Because to me and to us, what a staycation meant was we stay home, we take time off of work, and we get all the home improvement projects that we haven't had time to do otherwise, we get them done during this time. And there is no cation in that stay. And so I always wanted to go someplace else because if you go to a hotel, nobody shows up at my door at the hotel and says, hey, we got a maintenance issue down here and we want you to come look at it. Nobody. But last year we had an idea that we were going to do a staycation and we decided that we were actually going to Kate. <laughs> and it was so relaxing. We got up when we wanted to get up. We slept in our own bed the whole time. How many know when you sleep in your own bed, you always get more rest than if you sleep in, in a bed that you're not familiar with? And so here we, here we are sleeping in our own room, and, and we get up when we want. I read books. I, we, we just relaxed. We went where we wanted when we wanted to go there. It was awesome. We really did get a lot of good rest. And at the end of the week, we weren't worried about catching a flight or running here or running there. It was just a beautiful thing. We just woke up the next day and said, all right, we get to go back to work now and we were rested why were we rested so beautifully because at home we were in a cocoon of people and things that we have faith in we, we, we know that house we know that bed we know that room we know those people Sure, we had to do some dishes and we, there, was, there was some housework that had to be done throughout the time. But, but the fact is, because we were in such a known place, rest was there. It was easy. The person or the thing that controls your rest reveals your faith. Reveals your faith. Some of us have more faith in the economy to mess our life up than Jesus to bless our life up. Some of us have more faith in the politicians to do strange things and, and destabilize our life than we do Jesus to bring stability to our life. How do I know? Because those are the things that are causing us to be unrested, even as Christ is calling us to his rest. We're, we're more we have more faith in the coronavirus to afflict us than we do in Christ to protect us. This doesn't mean putting our head in the sand. It just means understanding where our rest comes from. 
The more you learn about Jesus, the more you learn from Jesus, the greater your faith in him becomes. And your knowledge, your knowledge drives your thoughts and your processes and your emotional connections which direct your decisions. And your decisions create your lifestyle and and your environment. So when you allow Christ to teach you, your your lifestyle and your environment are focused on elevational things and and things that are going to better your life and better your environment and better your thought processes and better your decision-making. It's not about creating an emotional experience with Christ. Emotional experiences are great. But they won't establish a long-term reality. But operating on earth within the principles of the kingdom of heaven, that's a decision that each one of us can make. So rest isn't based on emotion. It's, re- it's created by establishing a faith connection with the rabbi, yoking our life with the rabbi, opening the opportunity for intellectual understanding, resulting in intentional action, which creates a lifestyle of being at ease in your body, in your mind, and in your emotions. In other words, what you learn and apply will determine how you feel. If you don't learn it, you can't apply it. But if you don't apply it, it doesn't matter that you learned it. Christy and I are big proponents of the Dave Ramsey program, Financial Peace University. And when we, when we first learned about Financial Peace University and learned the pro- principles of Financial Peace University, it was hard to implement them. We said, how in the world are we possibly going to implement this? It was tough. But we got started little by little and it took a while to get going but today we are more at rest in our finances because we learned something that we applied and it brought forth a result there is so much more of Christ saying learn of me than just salvation and unfortunately that's where many 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 believers stop I'm saved that's all I need I've got this from here on And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If you'll take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me, I will give you rest for your souls. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. And maybe you're in a position where you're not physically tired, but you're mentally and emotionally exhausted. You're in a situation where the one little thing going wrong today can ruin your whole weekend because you're just so on the edge emotionally and mentally that decisions are hard to make. It's easy to lose it. Jesus is calling you to rest today. And over the next few weeks, we're going to get increasingly practical in how to apply his teaching in our life. But first, we have to make the decision to take on his yoke. Don't say, Jesus, I want your rest in my image. I want your rest with my understanding. I want your rest with my teaching. It doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. So I'm going to pray for you right now.
And I'm going to ask you to receive it today if you're in that position of just exhaustion in any area of life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your offer of rest in our lives. We can't demand it, but we can't accept it. In fact, we cannot receive it unless we come to you to get it. And so I'm asking you today that you would give us the courage to come to you. If we've never come to you for salvation, I pray that that's the step that we make today. If we've, if we've been saved, but now we're exhausted, even in our salvation, I pray that we would have the courage to come back to you, to focus our life upon your word, upon your teaching, and, and allow ourselves to be yoked with you like, like that young ox young ox who's wanting to do it his way wanting to go do play in the other field to to get off task and i'm asking you to to help us to yoke ourselves to you intentionally and you bring that level of stability and consistency and certainty into our lives and you allow us to rest We believe you for it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And if that is your prayer today, would you just say amen? Praise God. Let's stand to our feet. Our musicians, our praise team is going to pray and sing. Our prayer partners are coming forward right now. And if you need prayer this morning, I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. I'm going to pray for you in a dismissal prayer. And if you need to go, if you're ready to go, we're going to dismiss you. If you need prayer, come forward. If you need to go, go backward. In the name of Jesus right now, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your presence in this room. And I ask you, Lord, to lead us in your rest. In Jesus' name, and let everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here in Jesus' name.